0: Our kids are now dismissed to kids' ministry. Uh, we're going to start doing it right before uh, the sermon now, so please take, take your kids and if you would like to, but they're welcome to, to stay in here. No problem uh, with that. We love to have the sound of, of our, our children uh, with us on Sundays. And I want to mention again that we are serving at the Ascensia Shelter in Glendale tonight. Uh, if you're interested in coming to participate in that, let us know. Um, we have food taken care of, but you could meet either here at the building at 530 or at the shelter at, at 6, and just uh, let, us, let us know that you want to participate in that. That would be uh, fantastic. So we started a series last week called Diversity, where we're thinking about um, why diversity matters to God, why I think it's important, why it's important for us to seek diversity um, in our lives. I think that collectively in our world today, like we like diversity, um, and maybe we like the idea of it more than actually participating in it, if we're honest, Um, because it's really hard. I think that we think like, oh, I I just love everybody everywhere, but loving everybody everywhere is a good way to not love actual any real person anywhere. Like, just having this concept of, like, oh, I just, I'm just so loving and I'm so caring. It's like, okay, cool, but, like, where do you do that? Like, what, what community do you participate in where there's people who are different than you and where you sometimes, like, rub up against each other in the wrong way and, you know, sometimes you have to, like, practice, like, forgiveness and stuff? Like, where do you do that? What does it look like for you to have a diverse life? And so we're celebrating and thinking about the ways that our church is, is already um, diverse, but also thinking about how we can uh, push for that more and participate more. And I'm so thankful for Alfredo sharing for us, for us in, in Spanish earlier. And if again, if you know um, another language, please let me know. Uh, give him a hand. Yeah, give him a hand. That was awesome. Uh, if you know another language and would like to share and participate in that um, in the coming weeks, please uh, let me know. I mentioned last week that I had the opportunity several years ago to to take a trip um, with uh, ten uh, white pastors in Churches of Christ and ten African American pastors in Church of Christ to visit some. Um, historic sites associated with the civil rights movement. It was a really fantastic trip and very transformative for me, seeing many places that I had read about in books, but it was really interesting to be there and especially to be uh, among people who who, who felt like it impacted more than than me. But one of my favorite parts of this trip was meeting this guy, um, Dr. Fred Gray, who is um, one of the really significant figures in um, the civil rights movement who is still alive. If you know anything about Fred Gray, um, you may be familiar with the fact that he helped um, to defend, as a lawyer, um, Rosa Parks. And um, he did some work along, alongside Martin Luther King Jr., a very, very significant man. There. He did a whole lot um, in, in the civil rights movement. And that was really awesome, and that's like on its own. Fantastic, and it's like, wow, that's a life well lived. But what is really impactful and interesting about Fred Gray is that while he was a lawyer and a very significant, very important, prominent lawyer in this movement, he also was a local Church of Christ preacher. And one of the things that he actually shared with us that he is most proud of in his in his life is that he was able in Tuskegee, Alabama, a very segregated city, um, to help. Unite a predominantly African American Church of Christ and a predominantly white Church of Christ. So he talked with such pride. Uh, about being able to participate in that, he's one of those people that makes me go like, "Geez, what am I doing with my life?" Like, I mean, I, it's enough for me to just be a Church of Christ preacher, but you're like thrown in defending Rosa Parks on the side. Uh, and when you look at somebody like this, you just think, "Wow, like what a what a well lived life, right?" That's so so cool. And um, he was somebody who really impacted the world, and still is. is he's 88 years old um, now and still alive, and it's really impactful to see somebody who doesn't just accept things the way they are and is willing to say, I'm going to put some things behind us and then take some risk to show the love of God to people who are different than me and to also stand up for who I am. It's impactful to see somebody who lives like that. And I think we should all be challenged by people who, who have done that because the story of scripture, I think, would tell us that it's difficult to live with others in mind. So when Adam and Eve, when Adam is, is blessed with, with Eve after spending a long time looking at animals, and none of the animals quite do it for him, um, Eve comes into the, the picture and Adam says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And like that for us is like, what does that even mean? But that's like a hubba hubba basically. And it's a, a, a Hebrew idiom that means like very literally uh, like, If they stole it in Jerry Maguire, you complete me, is what what he basically is is communicating to Eve. And what he's he's saying to her, thanks for the laugh over there, what he's saying to her is that um, basically like where I am weak, you are strong. So like emotions and stuff, like yeah, like where I am weak, you are strong. And where I am strong, you're weak. And so yes, Eve, you are different than me, but wow, what a compliment we are to each other. Yes, there are differences that are in you that aren't in me, but, you know, I'm excited for that because this is a compliment. It's not about me being better because I'm different or you being better because you're different. It's, these differences are, are celebrated. So Adam says to Eve, where you are weak, I'm strong. And where you're strong, I'm weak. These differences are celebrated. Then when sin enters the world, we soon have the story of of Cain and Abel. We see that differences are highlighted pretty quickly. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 2 begins to tell us this. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So highlighting these differences. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So from the beginning of this story with Adam and Eve, first we have Adam and Eve looking at each other and saying, wow, what a blessing it is that you're different than me, but yet we compliment each other. To Genesis chapter 4, well, Cain did this, and Abel did this, and Abel brought this sacrifice of worship to God, and God liked that. And so Cain gets angry, and we likely know the story that Cain ends up killing Abel. Instead of Cain having the opportunity to stand back and go, wow, what what a worship gift. You know, good job on you. Good on you, Abel, for doing that. Instead, it's about comparison. And it's like, wait, mine isn't as good as, as his? Like, that gets me upset. Like, I want to rise up. Instead of thinking, no, maybe I should figure out a way to do this worship offering thing better next time. He just instead tries to take his anger into his own hands. I wanted to take um, some anger into my own hands yesterday because I'm coaching uh, my son's ASO soccer team, and I don't really know that much about soccer, but I'm there, and um, (laughs) car. Carter has three goals in two games, so that's pretty cool, but um, his team is not so good right now, and uh, they, they lost like 8-3 to three yesterday, and this one team just kept scoring goals, especially in the second half, and you're not supposed to keep score, but it was so annoying because this kid kept scoring a goal, then going to pick up the ball out of the net and saying, that's number seven, guys, and he'd like run back uh, with his team, and I'm so, like, you're not supposed to keep scores. This isn't a game of comparison. This is very frustrating, uh, and I, I was able to hold back and we're going to try to improve and just get better to beat them next time. But <laughs> it's easy to, to think of life as like the, the differences that we see and the constant comparison. And so Cain looks at Abel and is frustrated because the the way that the, the God has smiled on him. And he takes that into his own hands. Instead of like maybe asking the question, how could I improve next time? How could these differences be celebrated? Instead, it creates division and ultimately ends up in murder. And unfortunately, Scripture continues to tell a story that very often is about division. Eventually, in Genesis, we see the Tower of Babel, which... The people are trying to create to create this, this stairway to heaven, to one day like unite with God, and God confuses their language, so um, different languages come up, and people are, are confused and put on this different trajectory where there's lots of different things that starts to happen among people. Moses, in, in his life, he marries uh, two foreigners, um, and the second one is a Cushite woman, and Moses' sister is not all too thrilled that he's married this foreigner, and so she starts talking a little bit of mess behind uh, Moses' back. And so God strikes Moses' sister Miriam with leprosy. Like one of those where you're like, wow, I wish I could still get that to happen sometimes. <laughs> and I, like, I'd, I wish that I could strike, strike some enemies. Like, that'd be pretty awesome if it'd be like, yeah, just do that. I mean, God, God's basically like, oh, so you're going to talk about how that person's different? All right, you're going to talk about different skin color? All right, enjoy leprosy. You know, it's like, whoa, hey, is, is this, is, God, the Old Testament's weird at times. And I, I agree with that. Um, but God's not too happy that Miriam's talking about the differences uh, and that maybe Moses shouldn't have married Um, her because of this. This continues to be a problem. The book of Jonah is a book that I think we don't like to think about all that much. And we have like VBS around it because there's like the big like fish whale thing or whatever. And we don't really like to think about like the story and what goes on because actually it's a story that has a lot to do with the human heart and how easy it is for us to not really want everybody to participate in the love of God. Because Jonah gets this word to go and preach to the people of Nineveh who are Israel's sworn enemies. And there's legit reasons why the Israelites don't like these people. And so Jonah's like, "Um, thanks but no thanks, I'm not going to do that. And so he gets on a ship going as far in the opposite direction as possible. And on this ship, the, the storm comes up, and finally he kind of admits, yeah, it's probably because of me that this crazy storm is happening. Just go ahead. I'll just get off the boat. And so eventually they do that. The storm settles down. And then the fish comes and gets him and vomits him on the land where he was supposed to go, which is a really great image. And uh, so then he preaches to the people of Nineveh, and it is the worst sermon ever, basically. He's basically like turn or burn, and then he just like is back to his own thing. But the sad thing for Jonah is it works, the whole country, everybody just turns and they're like, whoa, you're so right, Jonah, I do need to repent. And the whole place turns, including the animals, start to worship. I mean, it's like showing like this is like a complete turnaround. And so it's like this moment that you would say, wow, you were like the best missionary ever. Like this is unbelievable. You've gotten this whole place turned, you must be so excited about this. And then we find Jonah in Jonah chapter four saying to God, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, going in the wrong direction. I knew that you're a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than live. See, God, I knew that you would love these people. And I don't really want you to love those people. Like, If I'm honest, I don't really want you. Because I'm like an Israel, I'm a Jew. I've been practicing this all my life and you have these people over here who've done some really terrible stuff. I don't want you to love these people. This is why we try to keep Jonah in VBS because then we have to confront whoever it is for us. And maybe it's a group of people or maybe it's an individual that you would just say, I don't want the compassionate love of God to go to that person. So I'm going to stand On the outside, Anne Lamott says this beautifully. She says, "You can safely assume you've made God in your own image, where it turns out God hates all the same people you do. If God's list of people that God doesn't like is the same, happens to be the list that you have, then you're in trouble." That's Jonah's experience. And then we see the life and, and ministry of Jesus, which we talked some last week about how Jesus is just constantly going to outsiders and reaching those who aren't of the Jewish people and going like breaking down walls and boundaries. And one of my favorite stories of those is um, when he preaches his first sermon, he's preaching in, in his hometown. And those of you who know, this is my home church. And so I get this all the time. Like, is the preacher honored in his hometown? Brian, people ask me that. And I say sometimes. Um, and so he preaches, he preaches this sermon and like, it's, it's really nice. He's just quotes and then he sits down. And everyone's like, oh, wow, really great job, Jesus. That was wonderful. It was really moving. Thank you. But then Jesus keeps talking because everyone's like, oh, that's really nice. But like, that's really good that he heard that. But like, let's, let's just like talk about how great this is. And then Jesus keeps talking. Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout that land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath. So to someone who wasn't a Jew in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. So they've been all supportive of Jesus and "No, oh, it's a really nice sermon. And they get up, drive him out of town and take him to the brow of a hill in order to throw him off a cliff. When I preached my first sermon, I got taken to Fuddruckers and got to eat cheese sauce. When Jesus preaches his first sermon. They take him to the brow of a hill. They're ready to throw him off. And what is, really, if you're a religious person who regularly goes to church, what should make the hair stand up in your neck just a little bit is the story right before that is the temptation of Jesus. Where Satan says, I want you to throw yourself off this cliff and you're going to be caught. So the church is now doing the work that Satan was just trying to get Jesus to do. And Jesus does the amazing Jesus thing of just like slipping through the crowd and he just goes on and it's like, oh, whatever, I'm fine. But he basically preaches these people and they're they're cool with it. They're like, good job. That was a really good message. Thank you. Like, yeah, you're Joseph's son, right? Oh, that's really awesome. Thank you for the message today. I really needed to hear that. But then when he says, but, like what this means for y'all is that you have to like love people who are different than you. And the reason why this is good news is it's not just for you anymore. And let me remind you some stories from the Old Testament where God worked with outsiders, where God went beyond the walls that you might expect. Let me remind you of those, and that's when everybody gets mad. Jesus preaches this first sermon, and it's a story about God's love going way beyond just a specific group of people. And think about the story of the Good Samaritan, which is one that is a parable that people are familiar with. The lawyer comes to Jesus and says, well, like, what should I do? How do I inherit eternal life, basically? And then, like, what does it mean for me to love my neighbor? And who is my neighbor, basically, which is really just a question of who is not my neighbor? Like, give me a list of who I don't have to love, and then I'm good with that, right? Then I can just go about my way. And Jesus then tells this story, which completely, like, rips all boundaries off. uh, Because he tells a story. Here's... uh, Luke chapter 10 verse 30, Um, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, um, beat him and went away, leaving him um, half dead. And so then if you're familiar with this story, let's let's leave that slide up there for me though. Uh, But if you're familiar with the story, you know that um, eventually a priest goes by and a Levite goes by, and you would expect that like these are religious people, they should go and actually do something, but ultimately it's it's the Samaritan who goes in and does it, which is something that nobody in the crowd would have expected. And it's actually ironic now for the time that Jesus would have been telling this story that there's now hospitals all over the world called Good Samaritan hospitals, because back then a Jew would have said there isn't a good Samaritan. but all over there's these hospitals now because of this story. And so he tells this thing, and you would expect, oh, the priest or the Levite, they might stop um, to help. But what this story is, is telling us is that there's no way for the people who walked by to know who this guy is. So what does it say? We have Samaritan, we have the Jews who walk by. What does it say the cultural background is of this guy who's laying on the side of the road? Nothing, right? He's just, he's, it's just a man. We don't know if he's a Samaritan man. We don't know if he's a Jewish man. We don't know what his background is. And then it tells us that he's beaten and he's half dead and they've taken off his clothes. This was a time where you would wear certain clothes if you were a Jew. You would wear certain cl- clothes if you were a Roman. You would wear certain clothes if you were a Samaritan. And you're not able to, to speak. You would speak in a certain way. And so what this passage is telling us is you can't tell whose team this guy is on. So for the Jews who walk by, perhaps they might have helped if it would have been obvious that this is a Jewish brother who has fallen into this bad situation. But what Jesus is saying is as the people of God, you can't like just love based on the people who you want to love or who it's easy to love or the people who are like you. This is a whole different kind of love. And it's not about if someone is on your team or not. This is over and over again a theme in the life and ministry of Jesus. And then you see Saul, who becomes Paul. Saul is on his way to try and and stamp out the early Christian church because their message is so inclusive and because it's like about more than just one group of people. And so he's on his way to to go and, and try his best to stamp out this Christian movement because he's very threatened by it. And he has this encounter with God. Jesus basically tells him, like, you are persecuting me. And he has this unbelievable transformation. And even at the beginning of this moment, he ends up being called to to go to an early brother in the church. And that brother has to accept Saul. Like, hey, someone who's, like, actively trying to kill Christians, yeah, bring him into your house for a little while. And then as Saul continues to wrestle with this. He becomes Paul, and he just can't help but spread the message of the Christian gospel everywhere. Paul is, in a very real way, a theologian says that he becomes a reverse Jonah. Where Jonah just wants to keep the love of God away from certain groups of people, Paul says, where do I have to go? What do I have to do? I've been shipwrecked. I've been snake-bitten, I'm willing to go anywhere because of whom I got it. And I'm willing to break down any wall. I have to be honest, this is a challenging message for me personally. And just as Jesus, I think, when he first says it, like it should cause all of us to be like, ah, I I struggle with that. It's easy for us all to not be as loving to those who are different than us as we should. When I went to Abilene, Texas for grad school, I showed up i still don 't know why I, I thought this was okay, but I showed up a week before school started and wanted to find an apartment and again i don 't know why I thought this was a good idea, but everyone's like everywhere I went they said there 's like three schools here there 's no places i it 's the most I've associated with Jesus. There was no room at the inn for me in Abilene when I when I showed up, and so I went around to all of these places. And the only place that I was able to get a place to rent um, was in government subsidized housing, literally the projects, uh, because I as a student, I wasn't able to do it on my own qualifying moment, but we had a, I had a friend who was living there with me and he had a job and made like $20,000 a year. So we, we qualified as, as uh, me and my friend Robbie. So we got into this apartment and I have to be honest with you. It's, it's one of the, the first times in my life that I, I lived among poor people and it was a real transformative experience for me. It was a blessing. I mean, it was a little intimidating at times because I told some people where I lived and they said, I've known people who've died there. And so I don't know. I didn't, <laughs> it's like apparently a lot of people knew somebody, uh, Apparently this person was very popular, but as we um, were living in that apartment, there was this guy, this African-American guy who would just like kind of walk around and he would say like, hey, what's up, Mike? And he'd just say, what up with it? And just keep walking. Uh, But me and my roommate, Robbie, were very determined to like get to know a little bit of Mike and Mike's story and just kept saying what up with it. And we said, hey, Mike, Mike, like, what do you like to do? And he said he liked to play chess. And so we went up into his apartment, and we started playing chess somewhat regularly um, with Mike. And it was a very bizarre experience because what he would do is he would play chess is he would go and put a boys-to-men tape on. Uh, and it was, it was a very specific. It was a tape, um, and he would sing along. So if like, you've never had that experience of like, close your eyes, make a wish, and then it's like checkmate. And he was just like dominating it was a very humiliating way to lose to lose at chess, and he would totally just sing along to the whole thing while we, while we were sitting there. Um, and there was one time when we just said, "Man, where did you learn how to play chess so well?" And he said, "Up in the pen," and just kept playing. And we didn't know if is it appropriate to ask what you got in there for or not. I didn't, I didn't know. And, like, looking back on, on that experience, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it because it honestly was one of the first times in my life when I was around somebody that I actually knew had been in prison. I mean, obviously, I'd been around people who were in prison before, but they just didn't really tell you. And I remember, like, just playing chess with him, and I had certain, like, Understandings. I I would have thought perhaps that I would have been better at chess than someone who had been in prison for a while, right? You just kind of have certain assumptions that that's just the way that the world is, but that experience living in that place, living right next to Mike helped break down a lot of walls in my own mindset, my own mentality for how the world works. It's easy for us to just build up walls, not even necessarily like that we're trying hard to do it, but it's easy for us to just be around people who are like us. And it's hard, hard for me to, to say and to admit, um, but I just have to say that I'm, I'm a recovering racist when it comes to stuff like that. That it's easy for me to assume that people who aren't like me or people who are just maybe hard for me to love should just kind of stay over in a certain area. And I say that as someone who grew up in LA who I always had like black friends, hispanic friends, asian friends I always had like those friends I had those people around me. But I think it's so easy for the human heart to choose the easier way of just loving people who are like you. We talked last week about Jesus's challenging words for us. If you love people who are like you, Oh, cool, that's nice, but everybody does that. You need to have a different sort of ethic and mentality and always be putting yourself out there. Always, the bent of the human heart often is just to love those who are like you, but how are you any different than anybody else? We talked last week about, we think of L.A., I think, as L.A. 2019 as this like very like progressive, forward-thinking city where we hopefully would get this right. But then you go to certain parts of L.A., and it's still, in 2019, predominantly black parts of L.A., predominantly Hispanic parts of L.A., predominantly Asian parts of L.A. There are places that you would go, it's like just predominantly, it's one group of people living there. In 2019, in Los Angeles, the human heart struggles with this. And I think we all need to raise our hand and recognize that it's just easier for us to love certain kinds of people, but God is always calling us forward. And that's one reason why I'm so thankful for the community that we have in this church, the diversity that we have here. I want to continue to encourage that and think about how we can participate uh, in that more. My friend Jonathan, who preaches here a few times a year typically. Uh, He was out here one time and we did on a Wednesday night, he came to what we call a table group with our young adults ministry. And it was just a really powerful experience. Good conversation like it always is. It's really a blessing for me to participate uh, in, in those groups. And he said as as we were leaving, because we had kind of a representation of our church, a diverse group of people around the table sharing a lot of stories, and he preaches in the South, which still deals with a lot of segregation and issues, and he said, leaving that table, he's like, that was like a little taste of heaven being with you guys tonight. And I was like, oh, that's just our church. I don't know, That's that's who we are. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the ways that I learn from diversity. I'm thankful for the ways that people participate and give me different perspectives and help me to learn some things because it's just so important. And it's easy to love those who are like you and kind of reciprocating in kind, but what does it look like for you to continue to to push the boundaries? To maybe stop and say, you know, I want to have a conversation with somebody this week who's different than me. And Maybe it's someone that you walk by every day. Maybe you just need to pause and say, hey, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. I read an article this week that said uh, 80% of communication is nonverbal. 38% of emotions are conveyed by the voice. 55% of emotions are conveyed by the face. And only 7% of emotion is is conveyed verbally. This is why sometimes you've sent a text or an email and people have gotten it completely wrong and you're like, whoa, hold on, I did not say that at all. This is why it's so important for us to have, like, sit down, like, real live conversations or have coffee with people. Just, Just sit down and have conversations to learn about different backgrounds, different things that are going on in people's lives because we have to be intentional about this. We have to be willing to take steps to move beyond just the way that we see the world. Martin Luther King Jr. says this this way. He says, I'm convinced that men hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. And they don't communicate with each other because they're separated from each other. And I think one of the blessings of living is lo- in Los Angeles is that we have the opportunity to interact with people of different backgrounds, kind of around us all the time, but are we being intentional about that? Are we really taking those steps and, and following where God might be leading us to break down some walls? Because the story of Scripture is of Adam and Eve, and Adam saying, Eve, you're different than me, but praise God you are. And Mandy's different than me, but praise God she is. She helps me dress a little bit better. Now, you're different than me, but praise God for that. And, Jonah, you can't just sit on the outside wanting the love of God to only be for people that you want it to be for. And you can't just walk on the other side like the priest in Levi with this person whose team you don't know. Is, is he on my team? Is he on someone else's team? He's half dead and he's naked. I don't know how to tell. Is he a Jew? Is he a Roman? I don't know. But that's just who we're called to love. A nondescript man. We don't know if he's a Samaritan. We don't know if he's a Jew. He can't speak and he's not dressed. Jesus Preaches, and it's a really nice sermon until he steps on everybody's toes. Then they want to throw him off a cliff. May we confront the prejudice that is often in our heart. May we be willing to really take those steps and to live ultimately like Paul, who is the reverse Jonah, who says, anywhere I need to go because of who my God is. I'm willing. In the story of Cain and Abel, after God comes and says to Cain, Hey, you know, where's your brother? Abel replied, Am I my brother's keeper? And what we don't have in the next verse is wanting, uh, God probably wanted to give him a backhand slap for that one because it's like, Come on, man. (laughs) This is a snarky reply. But ultimately, he asked this question, You know, am, am I? My brother's keeper? And I would argue that the whole of Scripture says yes. That you are your brother's keeper. You're your sister's keeper. And it's not just the brother that looks like you or thinks a lot like you or likes the same things that you do. You are your brother and sister's keeper even beyond kind of the traditional lines that we would draw. Yes, you're being a little bit snarky perhaps here, Cain. But the answer is yes. And for all of us, you are your brother's and your sister's keeper. May we hear the words of Jesus, which constantly challenges us and calls us to continue to move forward. May we understand the beauty of the diversity that we have in our church. May we continue to strive to understand how we could value it more and come to learn from each other. Let's pray together. God, may you continue to call us forward into this. As a church, we are thankful for the ways that we're representative of your kingdom now, but may we strive to do that more. We truly want to be your family. We want to be a home in LA for everybody, a place where all people belong. And may we all participate in that we have the opportunity this week to just stop somebody that we see every week, maybe a neighbor, a coworker, or a friend, May we just stop everything and say, let's have a conversation. Because it's these kind of things that ultimately change the world. Father, may we recognize that we are our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper, even if they look different than us. May we recognize that your love is for all people. It's not just ours. In your son Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship.